to Nice to Know. I'm Robin Schenk, and this is the podcast where I usually am chatting to scientists about what they know. This week, however, it's just me. I'm trying something new this week for the podcast where I find out about something without a guest because sometimes I'm just curious about something and I want to talk about it. Today's episode is actually inspired by my birthday. I turned 30 on the weekend and I was kind of just thinking about aging. Like, not that I'm one of these people that thinks of aging as some sort of impending doom, but more I was interested by the fact that me at 30 years old is so different to that of previous generations. Like, as an extreme example, back in the 1800s, if you were 30, you were entering your golden years. According to ourworldanddata.org, no country at the turn of the century had an average life expectancy greater than 40. And now, with improvements in hygiene, medicine, and general quality of life, this number has doubled for almost every country. People my age, and living in Europe, as I do now, could well live to be 100, which is pretty crazy to imagine. It got me wondering, is there a limit to this? Could humans live even longer than that? So I did a bit of a literature search, and I found a recent review by Marios Kriatsis, apologies if that is the incorrect pronunciation, on this very topic titled, Aging Throughout History, the Evolution of Human Lifespan. And for today, I just want to talk about some of the interesting theories surrounding why humans age and how this is changing over time. The link to the full article is in the episode description, so you can check that out if you're curious for more, although unfortunately it isn't open access. So if you don't have an institute paying for it, I will do my best to summarize what I found out and at least what I found the most interesting from reading it. First things first, you need to define what aging is. Is it simply the accumulation of time, or is it more specifically the progressive loss of function, be it on a cognitive, physical, or cellular level that accompanies that accumulation of time? Of course, I'm referring to the latter when I talk about what I'm talking about today, and this review also deals with it, uh, with that definition, and in particular, theories on why we age. The first of which, which is fairly intuitive, is the theory of mutation accumulation. This was first proposed by Peter Medawar in 1952 and goes hand in hand with another major discovery at that time, which was that the heritable molecule of the cell is DNA. That was by Alfred Hershey and Martha Chase. Basically, this theory suggests that it's the accumulation of mutations to your DNA over time that result in the effects of aging. And this makes a lot of sense to me because our DNA is constantly under threat from all sorts of things, be it UV radiation or oxidation, just to name a few examples. And in fact, we have many cellular programs built into our cells to sense and repair DNA damage. However, these programs are not entirely foolproof, so they don't always repair mistakes correctly, and because of that, you get these so-called mutations. Mutations sound bad, but they're not always. Genetic mutations are the drivers of evolution itself, because sometimes you get a beneficial mutation that results in improved survival of the species. An example that I really like for humans is the mutation for lactose tolerance. So depending on where you come from, drinking milk is either super normal or a super bad time. And it might surprise you to know that only a third of the world is actually lactose tolerant. We're able to digest milk as babies due to this enzyme called lactase that breaks it down. 
but the gene that codes for lactase is switched off in adulthood. Except certain populations of humans that were domesticating cows, goats, and sheep approximately 8,000 years ago developed a mutation in lactase that was selected for in times of drought because, well, milk is a pretty good water substitute. But mutations can also be bad and are in fact the drivers of cancer, the classic aged disease. So I have to say, this theory makes sense to me. However, it's a bit more complicated in the sense that Medawar proposed that selection pressure, that is, whether a gene mutation is selected for or not, depending on the contextual advantage that it provides, is only strong if the mutation contributes to successful reproduction, and thereafter these mutations are only deleterious. In other words, we all have mutations, but they're only bad for us when we're old which is a little problematic because how can mutations be good at one point in time and then bad later? A modified version of this theory is the so-called antagonistic pleiotropy, which modifies the mutation accumulation theory by saying that the mutation is in the same gene that is beneficial in early life, but then detrimental when you're older. An example of this is a gene called apolipoprotein E, or ApoE, which is a protein that is involved with cholesterol metabolism and transport. I know for some, cholesterol is bad, but it's actually an incredibly necessary component of the membranes of our cells to help keep them flexible. And fun fact, your body produces cholesterol regardless of whether you get it in your diet or not. So ApoE, because of its links to cholesterol, it's perhaps not surprisingly associated with cardiac disease and also dementia. but when you're young, ApoE, getting cholesterol to your brain cells, is actually good for neuronal development. So mutations in this gene could therefore be good when you're young, but kind of screw you over when you're older. My personal take is I prefer to see this theory of aging as the literal accumulation of multiple mutations which you just collect over time. And I guess that this comes from my background as a cancer researcher during my PhD. There are many different mutations associated with cancer development, but more often than not, cancer cells require multiple mutations to push them over the edge, so to speak, of being malignant. And I see aging as more or less the same. Anyone who becomes a centenarian, in my mind, must just have very good DNA damage repair pathways that they've inherited over many generations. And this, again, is an example of positive mutations carried over time. That being said, it is curious that humans do this, living so much longer than their reproductive period. Like, why do we live long beyond when we've passed on our genes? We're actually the only primates that do this. And this is where aging becomes less molecular and more cultural. For example, there are theories that humans operating as communities or you know, raising children as a village containing multiple generations could also be positively selected for i.e. grandmas doing daycare, whilst the younger, fitter individuals are able to hunt and gather. Perhaps this is something that mankind has always had the capability of, and we're simply allowing for it by having humans dying less of infectious diseases in childhood. There are some other theories on aging evolution discussed in the paper, but I just want to end briefly by discussing the indispensable soma hypothesis. This theory, suggested by the author himself, suggests that humans being embedded in an information-rich, technologically-aided and cognitively-stimulating environment, such as that of modern day in most places in the world, 
might divert resources devoted to DNA repair to that of their non-reproductive cells, so-called somatic cells or the soma, rather than the germline or reproductive cells, i.e. sperm or eggs. So this would contribute to better preservation of your body cells at the expense, perhaps, of your potential offspring or reproductive capacity, meaning that you can expect to live longer. So this is an adaptation of the disposable soma theory, which attributes aging to the opposite. That is, you direct resources to preserving your germline and therefore the next generation at the detriment to the rest of the cells of the body. And I think this is super interesting. I mean, it's very clear that evolution is driven by the environment, and mankind is certainly living in a vastly different environment to that of early humans. So, disclaimer, what I'm about to say clearly contains a lot of speculation, because it's likely that these observations are influenced by multiple factors, but there is evidence that the birth rate is declining, whilst education level of women is increasing in developed countries. Is it that women are just having children later because they postpone it due to higher education? Or is there more to it? As I say, highly, highly speculative, but I thought this was really interesting food for thought. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this little rabbit hole I went down whilst getting older and just thinking about that. I will be back next time with another interview with a scientist. And in the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, tell your best friend about it and... You can also follow me on Twitter at Robin Sciences or Instagram at Nice to Know a Podcast. You can also email me at nice to know the podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.